0: Hey everyone, Alex Brandy here, New England Patriots cheerleader, and you're listening to Boston's Big Three podcast presented by Ride the Wave Media. All right, everybody, welcome to. 69, Giggity, 69 of Boston's Big Three presented by Ride the Wave Media. Today we are sponsored again by Guy Boston Sports. Head over to GuyBostonSports.com and check out their store. Myself and the Two Minute Drill have a little something, something that might be coming out soon, hopefully. Um, some little artwork that we've been working on with uh, GuyBostonSports.com, but make sure you check out their website to buy all your Patriots, Celtics, Red Sox, Bruins fan gear. Joe Stafford on today, the uh, Spike King. Today's episode is going to be all focused on our guest, Chris Matthews, former wide receiver in the NFL. Um, before we get on the Chris Matthews interview, it's, and it's about an hour long, so it's all going to be dedicated to him, and Joe will hype him up a little bit. Joe, uh, sports are back. They've been back for a little bit. Uh, it doesn't feel like it still because – Boston sports isn't back yet. It's not. Red Sox absolutely stink. You know they're not going to go anywhere. They might not even win 15 games this season. The Celtics have had a very, very rough start to start in their bubble. Um, According to some statistics, they're like the second or third worst team uh, in the bubble right now. It just seems like they can't play defense at all. Uh, And it makes me worried about the Celtics now because I love the Celtics like this year. It makes me worried that they're not there. And they're not going to be able to pick this up. And I've already said this, and I'm on record of saying it to one of my buddies. If the Celtics match up with the Sixers in that first round, I would not be surprised if the Sixers beat them. I know the Sixers have had some of their woes too, but I mean, the Celtics are not there. The Bruins don't look like the same team they were. It almost feels like this break did not help these Boston
1: Well, I was about to say, the number one thing that hurt uh, teams going into this was momentum. Like, the season goes off for any sport, no matter what. It's football, basketball, baseball. It all runs on momentum on runs. If you're getting hot, you're getting cold going into the playoffs. The Bruins were the best team in hockey, the only team in hockey to score over 100 points in that season. And then they go into the bubble, you know, favored to be the Stanley Cup champions, and now they blow. Like, the the game tomorrow, we're actually recording on Wednesday the 5th right now. Tomorrow is a game between Philadelphia and Washington. Depending on that game, we might be the fourth seed, the the lowest-ranked divisional winner, when we should have been the number one seed regardless if this thing didn't happen. So it's just very disappointing and frustrating. And your point to the Celtics, I agree with you. The Sixers are a terrible matchup for us right now. And not to mention, Kemba Walker's now injured again. He's not playing tonight. And that needs to be bothering him, I think, for the rest of his career. And when you look at Jason Tatum, yes, he's gotten hot the past couple of games. His first game, he was atrocious, given he had pretty bad hair, too. I think it's the hair. I swear to God, it's the hair. But Jason Tatum needs to get hot as well. Jalen Brown's played phenomenal. I think the key here is Marcus Smart stepping into that starting role to see if he kind of can provide that defense spark they need on the front end.
0: And then when we look at the football terms with the New England Patriots, they've just finally hit the practice field. They're just kind of doing walkthroughs, nothing crazy. And it hurts me to see that you have down in Tampa Bay, you got Tom Brady just throwing to everybody. They got all these highlights ready to go. And they have just been kind of dragging their feet with the New England Patriots. And it's because of the COVID testing and they're trying to take this very serious. And it almost feels like we're not going to have the same hype up as you would for the training camp and preseasons and looking at everything, everything, especially when it comes to Belichick, everything's going to be super quiet. So um, I'm waiting to see like, you know, videos from practices. You might not even see that. They're not really allowing media to be there. So it's, it doesn't feel like sports are truly back and we'll, we'll wait. We'll wait in a couple of weeks when the playoffs start and see what happens. But I mean, it, you get excited, you get excited, and it's just like, ugh, it is what it is. Well, like,
1: I mean, it's it's 2020. We shouldn't expect anything less. There was going to be disappointment going into this regardless. And, and obviously, the Patriots have been hit hardest by the COVID opt-out clause that was discussed between the NFL and the NFLPA. We've had, I think, eight people uh, opt-out already. And not to mention, it's like high-profile guys. Dante Hightower, the leader of that defense, has opted out. And, and so you look at that entire team, you have a lot of question marks. I think we have, I think we're without... Uh, 11 of our returning charters for next season across the board. That's scary. I don't care what coach you have. That's a lot of, you know, just plug-and-play stuff that has to be developed over the training camp period that has no actual football happening in it. I mean, and that's, I want to mention that kind of an article I'm writing as well by Training Camp preview. Cam Newton and Jarris did probably have the toughest battle in training camp history because they don't have the actual games to prove themselves. They just have drills and practices and scrimmages. and That's not going to be easy for any team to deal with.
0: Uh, it's going to be interesting because, again, uh, well, I can harp on this so many times. Uh, again, I still think Stidham starts week one. And the only reason why he starts week one is because they don't have enough time to get Cam Newton up to speed. And, uh, I mean, again, it's not about one's better than the other. It's about they're going to have to work very equally this season. It'll be interesting. You're, they're going to both be thrown out there. Um, and it's going to be interesting. And I hope the fan base is ready to see that because this is, like you said, it's a year and it's a season like – Another. Um, Stafford, talk to us a little bit about Chris Matthews. Lead
1: so, if you were alive back then, I don't know if Caden Bodak was or not, but in 2014, that postseason run with the Patriots was obviously a special one. Obviously, it was a very, very memorable Super Bowl uh, in postseason in general because Tom Brady finally recaptured that elusive fourth ring that he had lost twice before in 2007 and 2011. And a big part of that entire postseason was the run of the Seattle Seahawks. Russell Wilson was just getting to all-pro form Uh, He was becoming, you know, a a force uh, with Marshawn Lynch in that backfield. And that defense, obviously, the LOB was leading the way. But one really important aspect of that team was the play of one Chris Matthews, little-known wide receiver. And he comes into the Green Bay game that was a divisional game between them and, and Seattle. And you go in, and it comes down to the very wire. Seattle mounts a phenomenal comeback. And then, obviously, the famous onside kick happens. And who recovers it? But Chris Matthews, and kind of people started kind of paying attention to him right off the bat here, like, hey, he might actually be an impact player when it comes to special teams. And then the Super Bowl happens. The Seattle Seahawks are stalling on offense in the second quarter. He comes in and absolutely mosses Kyle Larrington, and he gets a whole attention based on that. He scores a touchdown. He ends to with four catches for 106 yards and a touchdown, and really puts the entire league on notice. And, and obviously, it's very uh, you know, that was a very impactful moment for the Patriots fans because we thought we were going to lose that Super Bowl the entire time, and, and so this interview is very special. Chris, again, thank you for coming on the show, he's a great guy. He actually put my mix on his story, no big deal or anything. But Chris, exactly, swish. But Chris Matthews, great interview. We talked about his career uh, with Seattle, talked about the Super Bowl, obviously, the onside kick, what went through his head, a lot of interesting little tidbits from there, especially what he says about Seattle's handling of the interception and the reaction afterwards, or actually their non-reaction afterwards. So pay attention to that uh, during the interview. But Chris, thank you so much for coming on again. We actually hope we're going to have him on soon. We have some announcements going on with that pretty soon. We'll keep you updated. But besides that, enjoy the interview. Here you go, Chris Matthews. And welcome back to Boston's Big Three. Yet another interview coming your way with none other than Super Bowl hero, Chris Matthews, former Seattle Seahawks, former Cleveland Brown, former Baltimore Raven. Chris, thank you for coming on the show.
2: Yeah, thank you, man. Thanks for having me on. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing great. How are you doing?
2: I'm doing great, man. Just uh, living the father life.
1: Yeah, I could hear that in the background. How old is your daughter?
2: She's two, going on three.
1: Oh, well, congratulations. Um, so obviously the biggest part of your career happened just a few years ago, 2014, and it was a very, very magical postseason run for you guys in 2014. The Seattle Seahawks obviously had an unbelievable stretch there with the LOB and Russell Wilson just kind of getting into his all pro form. And of course, Marshawn Lynch, and you were a very special part of that, especially during that season. I want to start with Green Bay. Now, they walk into Seattle, and they have a great, great first half. They come in. They go at you guys, and it's not a very easy thing to do. You have Richard Sherman. You have Cam Chancellor, Earl Thomas. Like, these are no slouches. These are very good football players, as you already know. All pro guys. And Aaron Rodgers walks in, no fear at all, and puts up a lot of points very, very early. And you guys kind of seem to be kind of staggered by that. Green Bay's defense plays better than anyone anticipates, especially during the early part of that game and then things start to kind of switch around. Russell Wilson ends up throwing, I think, four interceptions that game, but yet you guys still end up pulling it out. It was a crazy, crazy run. Take me through how that game shifted, the energy, how that kind of flipped for you guys and how you were able to come away with that victory.
2: Well, I think that's just a testament to uh, Green Bay's uh, organization. You know, they're, they're, they're a great team. They're a great organization. They came in ready to play uh as far as on our end, I believe that we were, we were there. We were ready to play. We just, you know, didn't have the upper hand at that time. You know, they came in, like you said, ready to play. And we did too, but, you know, you could just tell that it was just a little bit, you know, just a little bit different. We had to kind of shake off the rest, I guess.
1: Yeah, 100%. And then Russell Wilson, now, obviously, he's always been a very composed leader, a very, very sharp guy and a very good leader in general. And coming from his perspective, he knows he messed up during that game. It's, it's no secret. And I think he took responsibility for that uh, after the game and during the game. I'm sure. What was his mentality like after throwing those last couple interceptions and then starting to turn that team around uh, towards the end of that game?
2: Well, I've never seen Russell Wilson at a down point in his life. As far as I, you know, as long as I've known him, uh, every time he comes in, where he goes one pick five picks or no picks, he's coming in the second half and he's fired up, ready to go, ready to get back out there the second half. You know, he's, you know, building up that confidence in himself and when others – when other people see that, you know, say that you do throw four picks and people see that he's still fired up, it's just a – you know, that, that resonates you with know, the locker room. And, um, everybody felt that and, You know, people, you know, were out there talking shit and, doing
1: their thing, but you know, at the end of the day, they knew that you know, Russell's going to come out and play. Exactly. No, 100% agree with you there. And obviously towards the end of the game, there has that unbelievable two-point conversion you guys pull off on that fake field goal or fake extra point, And you guys go down for an onside kick. Now, this is probably the craziest one I've ever seen in sports outside of what we'll talk about later in 49. But mm-hmm. I remember being out of my house in this very house right now, downstairs with my buddies. And my buddy's a huge Aaron Rodgers fan, huge, but he's a Patriots fan like me, but he just loves Aaron Rodgers. And Banging he's down, yeah, yeah, no, great quarterback, obviously. And he, he's sitting on my couch, and we're watching the game, and he can't believe his eyes, what's going on, what's going on, you guys are coming back, and the onside kick. And he says, there's no way they're going to get this onside kick. There's not a <laughs> shot. And I yeah. said, hey, you never know. And this guy bet me $20 right on spot in my hand and said, if they get the answer, kick $20. I got a tattoo of the Green Bay Packers, um, Aaron Rodgers, wearing a Seahawks jersey. And I was like, <laughs> what? I was like, what? And so all right, I, said, I took the bet. And I said, okay, cool. Kick goes up and Brandon Bostic does not come down with the ball. And yeah, obviously you yeah. swoop in and make one of the craziest onside uh, recoveries I've ever seen in my life. Take me through yeah. what was going on in your head throughout that entire play.
2: Well, it's crazy, right? Because, you know, you would think of, you know, NFL professional players, you know, being on point, very detailed, very, you know, un, you know knowledgeable of the game. And that whole time, up to that week, we've never did an onside kick full speed in practice. Like, it was always versus air, you know, pretend you got this guy, and, you know, run as hard as you can. And so we would never run hard. It comes down to the game, and, you know, we call the onside kick. I'm nervous as hell. Like, I'm still like, wait, I don't know who I'm blocking. I don't know where I'm supposed to be going. You know, I'll just, just go out there. So when we get out there, we line up. I ask my you know, my good boy, Sco, I'm like, bro, who are you blocking? So I know who I'm blocking. He points at him. I'm like, okay, boom, I got him. I'm looking at Brandon, Brandon Bostic, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to go out there. And I'm going to bite him up. I'm about to tear him up, right? <laughs> so I get out, and then I started getting nervous. I felt my arm shaking, and I'm like, bro, calm down, bro down um, damn, it's football. Right when he said hype. He goes, I'm looking at Brandon. Brandon's looking at me, so I'm like, okay. So obviously this is the guy who I am supposed to be blocking. And then his eyes just shifted and shifted and went up to the air. So I'm thinking like, oh, he's about to try to catch the ball. Of course, you know, this is my time to shine. Let me go ahead and lay the wood. You know, right, let's go knock this dude out. So I go and I'm running full speed and the ball. Hops off his shoulder pad. I'm like, hold up, hey, what do I do now? You know, I'm I'm lost, I, you know, I went from not knowing what to do to knowing what to do, to back to not knowing what to do again, I'm like, this is crazy. So I, as I'm running, I swear to you, bro, it was like a movie, everything just slowed down for me. People started, you could see the blocks, you could see the sweat flying off of people, <laughs> I could see the ball just flipping in the air slowly, you know, crowd is going crazy. I'm like, you know what, let me just, let me jump and try to go for this ball and see what happens. And sure enough, I went, I went up and the ball just laid in my arms. Like it, it wasn't hard or anything. It just literally was like the easiest catch of my NFL career.
1: It's like a movie. My
2: arms. I'm like, that's what I'm saying. It was just like a movie, and I'm I'm coming down, and I'm like, there's nobody trying to tackle me. I thought it was a big attack. I'm trying to run, and you know, uh, Brandon he trips me up on my legs, and you know, everybody else comes in and uh, dog pals me, you know, with my teammates and stuff, just you know, patting me on my helmet and stuff, and I'm like, man, I can't believe this literally just happened.
1: That is unbelievable. I've always wanted to know that story, which what was going on inside your head? And more importantly, what's going on inside Brandon Bostick's head? I mean, obviously, and I I don't want to incriminate you here or anything, but this dude, obviously it's for Jordy Nelson. You can literally see it. Mm -hmm. The entire thing was designed for Jordy Nelson to get that ball. And he just really, really messed up. He was nervous too, obviously, but he goes up and that ball hits him right here and it just pops off and you got to be thinking it's like a movie like you just said but a movie where it's like a freeze frame it's like hi mm-hmm. I'm Brandon Bostic and this is where everything <laughs> went wrong <laughs> it, was, it was just exactly. like oh my god to be that guy did you ever talk to him after the game or or after really any of that happened just to kind of talk to him no went, went through oh no, I
2: never I never I never spoke to him after that but you know one of my really close friends we went to college together Randall Cobb we talked about it and it's like he was just telling me he was like bro he's just he's just looking like, the world is over you know because you know making you know messing up on crucial plays like that especially when you have the upper hand, and you, you, you you know that something's gonna happen to you yeah. <laughs> you know and and it, it, it was just an unfortunate moment but you know it's a part of the game
1: yeah, it's just that, you know, being an avid sports fan like myself, I understand when I get angry at my own team when, it, when stuff like that mm-hmm. happens. I can't even imagine. Because Green Bay is publicly owned. That town owns the team. So yeah. they're literally – when it comes back to town where the entire city – is like owns it, like he literally like they pay his salary, and then he yeah. comes back and gets I'm sure a ton of hate. I'm sure there's some death threats mixed in there. Um, I'm sure everything. I got. The, I bet he has the whole nine there. And I feel bad for the guy. I really do. But it still created one of the craziest playoff moments of the past decade, and it was just yeah. unbelievable. Must watch TV. And then obviously you see in the in the. Overtime period where Russell was in just tosses an absolute bomb and they score that last second touchdown, uh, to win that game and to go to the Super Bowl, And it was just, that was a crazy, crazy game. And I'll never forget that. Yeah, one. That, that,
2: that, that right there was an audible right there. That play where he threw the barn. Really? That was an audible. We had worked on that play for about, I want to say almost two weeks, to be honest with you. Like we were pre-planning before we even, uh, got to the Big Bay game. Like we just knew like if they come out with this coverage where we're, You know, we're throwing this sign up. It's called the Cobra. and Basically, everybody is running a slant, and the only person who's running a deep route is is Jermaine Kurtz. We just knew that that safety love favoring that right side. And so we was like, okay, it's going to be a one-on-one matchup on the
1: right side of the field. Right. Well, what was the original play call then? Do you remember? I think it was like a run. I think it was like a run play, to be honest with you. Oh, really? So you guys just really just said, fuck it. and You kind of just (laughs) tossed it to you.
2: Oh, it was! It was definitely like a. Everybody on the sideline was, you know, that was on offense, knew what was going on because we seen the coverage and everybody called it. Oh, Cobra, Cobra, Cobra! You know, we're trying to yell it out. You know, yeah. making sure Russell knew it, and he's like looking around, keeping it cool. Throws up the sign. Everybody moves in position, and then you know, it up from there.
1: It's like backyard football. It's crazy. Exactly. That's that's unbelievable. Exactly what it was. That's a great story. So you guys win that game. Then it starts a two-week grace period to the Super Bowl. I'm sure there's a lot of buildup and anticipation on your end, as well as the whole team's end. I remember, and then, obviously, the most infamous Super Bowl press conference of all time, Marsha Lynch gets up there. I'm here, so I won't get <laughs> fined. That is yeah. an unbelievable moment. How, take me through kind of the Super Bowl media day and how that kind of affected your mindset going into the game.
2: Uh, well... Okay, so for me pers- me personally, it didn't affect me at all because I wasn't, uh, you know, one of the main pieces of the offense. So I was – my whole mindset was to go down, you know, in the, in the, in the opening of the playoffs because, you know, at that time, we love to kick off first on a set the tone defense. I was thinking about going down and get solo tackle solo tackle, blow him up, or slangle down, fumble the ball, whatever it was, I wanted to be the first person to start the game off. And, do that. and so, you know, Coach Schneider, he, he knew that. You know, I expressed to him that, and he kind of had set up the kickoff to where I would be the free person to be able to move and do what I want and go for the tackle. So I was never really worried about, you know, the offense, you know, like that. Like, I still study my plays and, you know, just to be ready, but, you know. Never, I never was like really focused on offense. So, just going through the whole media thing and the, the Super Bowl uh, activities that was going on never really bothered me. Like, I kind of just stayed in my stayed in my room, you know, just getting ready and you know, hung got with my teammates. That was about it. Honestly. Right.
1: All right. I have a serious question. I need you to be straight with me too. I don't want any bullshit answers. I want a real answer out of this. How much did you guys party during that two-week period?
2: Well, I, I don't know. I'm just going to keep it honest with you. I don't know how much people party. Like I said, I didn't party as much, and I wasn't even the focal point of the team. So I know if I didn't party as much, nobody else was doing that as
1: well. Okay, that's fair enough. I, I mean, I would have to think because in my head, I'm going through the, the list of these guys. What a serious guys in that team. Cam Chancellor doesn't mess around. Richard Sherman doesn't either. Mm-hmm. And they're smart guys too, so I wasn't anticipating anything, but I was really hoping there was a little nugget there where someone got mm-hmm. blackout drunk at the bar down the street and had to like stumble <laughs> home or something. And you guys covered it up in the, in the organization or something. I was hoping yeah, for no. something
2: like that. No, because everybody, was, you know, that, at that time, it was just coming off, the, coming off fresh off. Super Bowl win, you know, we were thinking, like, okay, we can make this a dynasty. That's, that's what everybody was saying. Like we can make this a dynasty. We win another one. Then we come back and win another one. So everybody was super focused. Everybody was super ready to put, you know, the Super Bowl okay? so you know what kind of, You know, what kind of atmosphere this was and who we were playing against is <laughs> the biggest thing. Is like the Patriots are not a slouch.
1: Right, exactly. And that and before we get into the game here, I do want to talk about Pete Carroll a little bit. Obviously you've kind of gone through our whole interview so far and said I'm I haven't been the focal point of the offense. I understood that you knew your role and everything like that. And then you guys are kind of strong in offense when it starts to get into the that second quarter. And Pete Carroll at what point he just comes up to you, and what, what does he say to you? Does he, does he just say, you're in it's your time to shine? Does he try to prep you up? Like, what did he say to you when he decided to sub you in um, in that offense?
2: Well, that's at that time, Ricardo Lockett was, uh, was, just, uh, was the next man up at that time. And he had just went out there, ran like three deep routes, and he was jazzed. He was like, bro, I need you – you know, I need you to come in for me, bro. So I go out there and uh, we call this play. I forgot what it was called, but um, you know, three receivers to the right, and it was my first catch down the field. For two weeks, we had practiced this one play to where it was, you know, basically where I was, where Carlo Lockett was, and he would run this deep corner post. And it was just to, to clear everybody out and let Doug Baldwin and Jermaine Kirch run slant underneath. Uh, you know, we with with which was man-to-man coverage for us. You know, pretty much what uh, New England plays the whole time, and they were supposed to get the ball. You know, make something happen after that, just to get a first down. And so, you know, I go in and uh, I run my my corner post, and I'm just thinking in my head is, you know, just clear out, bro, just clear out, you know, and uh, run back to the sideline, and, and let uh, Ricardo Lockie get back in the game. Sure enough, I run my corner post and I look back and I just see the ball in the air, like right, going deep. And I'm like, wait, but whoa, whoa. Hold on. You know, <laughs> I had to look. You know, if you really look at the if you look at the film, like I look and then I run and I run, I turn back and I run again. And I look back up like, is that ball really coming to me? <laughs> like... So it was like we never we never we we practiced it for like two weeks, but never threw that ball deep. This time I don't know what came out, you know, came from Russell, but he threw the ball, so I was like, let's go make this play.
1: That's unbelievable. I still feel so bad for Kyle Arrington. I mean, this guy—he's a talented kid. He really is, and he had a lot of up and downs here in New England. But as soon as you subbed in that game, that was a tough look for for one of our most favorite cornerbacks on that team at the yeah. time. It was a tough look. But, I mean, game respects game. We understand that. And it goes, it, the football is, you know, it's a man's sport. It goes up and down. You have, you know, hot and cold streaks. And just in that particular set of plays, you got the best of them. And it, it's understandable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I just feel so bad for Kyle Ayrton. I can't, he, I can't say it anymore. I, I can't say <laughs> yeah, it
2: Yeah, we, uh, so, so, after that, you know, after that year, uh, you know, offseason, we were just training. You know, he came into the in California. And you know, we was just you know, sitting there working out and he you know, walked up to me. You know, We never, we didn't know each other until that time. And he came up to me like, bro, he was like, I can't believe you went off on us that game. <laughs> like, we had no scouting report on you. We were just out there just picking people. right? We were just picking people to try to guard you. But, I'm sorry, bro. But You're, not won, sorry. You know. You're not You're, sorry. You're not sorry. Come on, no." <laughs> You won, bro. That's what I wanted. I could have cared less about everything else. I wanted a ring, you know. My dad told me one thing when I was, uh you know, before the Super Bowl. You got to understand that not everybody can go to the Super Bowl. Like that's an elite class. He was like, and what's even more elite is if you win one. So, so he, so he was just saying, like, basically, you know, you made it. You know, you're, you're meant to be there. And I'm yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. You
1: know? <laughs> you're right. Yeah, a personal man, hype man back there. Time.
2: Yeah, exactly. It was a special time for sure.
1: Yeah, so I have to ask one question. So it, for me at least, the twenty fourteen team, the Patriots were a very special team for me, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Because of that defense. I mean, uh Darrell Revis on that team transformed the way they play defense. I mean, I'm I'm sure for you know sure. you're a football guy. And they really switched up from zone to man that from 2013, 2014, it was unbelievable because you kind of switched from the kind of a cube to leave type defense that they had a couple years prior and to now mm-hmm. where you have the best cornerback uh, in the game, just locking yeah. down everybody that year. It was unprecedented yeah. and it's not like he was in his prime prime either on the jets. It was a whole different ball game. Like holding ball, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Revis is Revis is that Revis. dude, he is that dude, yeah. and Revis Island dominated that entire season. Yeah, what was your uh, prerogative, I guess, in that locker room when you're kind of dissecting, hey, what are we going to do to try to beat these guys? I mean, they have what we like to call in New England, uh, the island of doom as opposed to the legion of boom, you have Darrell Revis, Patrick Chung, Devin McCordy, Brandon Browner, who was a very underrated part of that team. And obviously you have close connections with him. He was on the Seahawks the year before. And that's like, that that was a great, great secondary. And not to mention, you have guys like Dante Hightower in the middle, solidifying yeah. that defense. Even Vince Wilford, even though it was one of his last seasons, he was still an anchor on that defensive line. And Chandler Jones as well, too. That was just a well-rounded defense. What was your prerogative going into that game and saying, hey, this is, a top three defense in the NFL, what are we gonna do to attack them?
2: Like I said, uh it was about it was about trying to get uh you know the the, the, the literal guys, Doug Baldwin and Jermaine Curse, the ball underneath and let them run. Uh so we you know if you noticed, we ran a lot of crossing routes, uh, a lot of pick routes, you know, we was just trying to make sure that we was getting guys open looks because we knew they were going to come out in man to man coverage. It didn't matter who, you know, really it was I mean I feel like we had uh we felt like we had an upper hand because of Brandon Brown really, like we knew what kind of player he was. Uh we had all the film. We watched it like religiously and we knew who we were gonna pick on and you know how we was gonna go about it. So um I, I I just feel like the whole the whole offense was, you know, basically predicated to be Brandon Brown to be honest with you.
1: No, I understand that because Brandon Browner, given, you know, he does his job well. He understands what his role is, and he does it great. And enforcer cornerback, but to be honest with you, that's not a very popular, you know, player uh, archetype in the NFL anymore. Mm -hmm. It's definitely switched to speed, agility, ability to keep up down the field. And that's not his strong suits. Essentially, if he came in the NFL today, he'd be a strong safety. He wouldn't be a corner anymore. And it's just – and obviously you guys kind of took advantage of that, but I do have one bone to pick with you guys. I'm still pissed about this a little bit. I remember watching that game on the downstairs in this house as well. And you do that crossing road, bullshit the end zone, where Darrell Rebus gets picked by an official, by a ref, and then Doug Ball was wide open the end zone for a touchdown. I remember screaming at my TV. I was throwing shit. I was pissed. <laughs> I was like, this is illegal. This is not supposed to be happening. And I was like, oh, no, that was a good play. With the, with, the,
2: with the referee, right?
1: Yeah, with the referee. And I was just yeah, like, oh, yeah. my God.
2: Listen, that's just, that's, just, that's just a testament to how smart Doug Ball
1: was. Like, yeah, no. Cerebral guy. That-
2: yeah he's definitely smart he understands he understands the game and he was just making things happen like he was just wiggling through you know how Doug Ball is you know he's very aggressive but like when he gets to his routes and stuff he's like very technical he loves running routes and making people fall and stuff like that Like that all came from Doug Ball like, yeah, no, we just we just try to put him in the right situation for
1: Right. And one, one thing people don't understand if you're not an avid football fan is that footwork. He had unbelievable footwork to set up all of his routes. You said he's a technician and there's a reason for that because people are scared of his feet. His ability, his yeah. ability to shift his, his body into different routes and be able to kind of and not even fake out your opponent because a lot of the times the routes, they knew what they were going to do. It's yeah, not like it was yeah. a secret. You guys had the game plan out. You're kind of doing a lot of the same stuff most of the mm-hmm. game. you had a lot of crossing routes and stuff. But it didn't matter because Baldwin's feet really made everyone else in that, you know, on that defense think he was doing something he wasn't. And it was just crazy. Exactly. It's the deception of his feet. It was just unbelievable. And I'm glad you brought up Doug Baldwin because I think he's criminally underrated. I think he's one of the most mm, yeah, underrated receivers of the past decade. From, from 2010 sure. to, to 2020, I'd say top three most underrated players in the NFL, I think, period. Uh, yeah, for, sure. I, for I, sure. I, I think it's just because that it's in Seattle. I think it was a little bit more kind of a warped sense of who he was. And not even that, the defense obviously was the big you know, mirror image that was the huge you know, icon of that team was that hard hitting defense. And so, yes, you have Russell Wilson, but he wasn't all pro Russell Wilson yet. You have Marshawn Lynch, who was obviously beast mode. That takes a lot of the attention up as well. And you have a very deep receiving core in that locker room. And it kind of took away from the fact that this is a top 10 receiver in the game. And like when it comes down yeah. to it, he is. And so it, it was. No,
2: that's exactly, that's exactly what it is. But, you know, uh, you know Seattle is a run first team. So right. you know, the fact that the fact that we have a Hall of Fame, you know, running back, and then you talking about a potential Hall of Fame quarterback, they both can run. You know, that's 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 pretty hard. You know, it was a lot of there was a lot of days where we were like, where, where you know, we ran the ball when we really should have threw the ball. You know,
1: mm-hmm. it, it was
2: a lot of those days. But you know, Doug and like you know, Doug Baldwin has always been a professional.
1: I will be remiss if we don't talk about this. It's going to be painful, but I need you to go with me here. Russell Wilson leading his team down the field. Tom Brady looks like he's going to lose his third Super Bowl in a row. The GOAT. And it's not his fault. Again, his defense is yep. about to let him down yet again. And I remember sharing at that TV like, this cannot be happening. And <laughs> like, seriously, this cannot be happening. And we finally get you guys to slow down a little bit. And then, of course, Jermaine curse happens. Another circus catch in that stadium in a Super Bowl. History always repeats itself. Take me through that play itself. Just watching that and just saying, did he really just catch that ball?
2: (laughs) Yeah, it was it was it was a crazy one because we had just ran. You know, we were trying to get down the field. You know, and we had just ran a go route. He had threw me the ball. I'm super gassed. I'm like, you know, I'm looking to the sideline. Like, where is? The <laughs> come on bro it is i'm tired but we started running four and five wide so it's like you have to go in chris you have to be in i'm just like all right bro you know we get back out there and we run yet again another go route. so i'm on the left side of the field we go down the field and i'm thinking like i I'm uh, to be honest with you if you ask me i beat my man i'm thinking the ball is coming to me right I look up, the ball is going all the way to the right side of the field. I'm like, okay, let's go, Jermaine. You know, make a play for us. And sure enough, came up with that acrobatic catch. I'm like, oh, my God. All all thoughts of being tired and feeling of being tired went right out the window. Like, oh, we're about to get <laughs> You know, <laughs> when I seen him catch that, I just knew because you really felt that and you knew that anything can literally – Happen if we are in the right mindset, and when he caught that ball, I just knew we were going to win that game. Like it was just there was no there was there was no doubt in my mind that we could win this game, no matter where we were at, how much time was on the clock. We just knew we were going to win that game, and 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 with that catch, it just solidified it for me.
1: It was like amazing. Yeah, hundred percent. I was in awe. Like I said earlier, I was just shocked. My mouth was on sure. the floor. I was just like, that really just happened. And it's not like it was bad coverage. Malcolm Butler did everything possible on that play to stop that from happening. He jumped yeah. out of the gym. His body was literally, like, sideways. He was up here, yeah. and it still didn't matter. And then, obviously, Deron Harmon hopped right over him while the ball's mm-hmm. still in the air. And thinks, oh, no, he's mm-hmm. not going to catch it or anything. <laughs> and I love Deron Harmon. I was a huge Deron Harmon fan uh, for his tenure during, with, with New England. And I was just like, oh, mm-hmm. my God. <laughs> I can't believe this happening. And then you run Marshawn Lynch. You get to the one-yard line.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And then... Go. Probably the craziest sequence of events in NFL history happens. Russell Wilson drops back on a pick play, passes the ball, and Malcolm Butler, little Malcolm Butler, out of West Alabama, I'm pretty sure. I don't even know where this dude went to college, and he comes out and makes the craziest play in Patriots history, at the very least, intercepts Russell Wilson at the one yard line, and wins the Super Bowl for the New England Patriots. Ah. What happened?
2: I don't know, bro. I really don't know. Like when we were on the one, it's pretty. It's, it's it's pretty much safe to say, you know. I haven't talked to a lot of. Actually, nobody has ever. You know, we have never really sat down and talked about the Super Bowl game as a team or just amongst you know, uh, you know, different small groups within you know within the team. Nobody has ever really talked about this game and what happened and how we felt about this. And when we heard the play, everybody on the sideline was like, what? What are we doing? You know, it was like, what What are we doing? When we got Marshawn Lynch, Beast Mode right there, you know. It just didn't make sense to me. It, it didn't make sense to me from the get-go. And I was sitting on the sideline like, uh, I don't know. I don't know what's going on. I was trying to get back in the game at that point in time. I was, I was telling them, like. I'm ready to go. They're like, we're just going to run this play and see what happens, and we'll put you in. And I'm like, okay, cool. But then when I heard the play, I'm like, damn, boy, I, I got on the knee. I started praying, like, please let this happen for us. And, you know, Michael Butler. Well, first off, let's just say that, you know, even though I'm not really a big fan of Brandon Browner, but let's just say he did he did his job to hold up the whole – the whole, the whole uh, sequence of the game because Jermaine was supposed to pick Malcolm Butler and let Ricardo Lockett come kind of underneath, you know, for the easy easy layup win. I mean, a uh, layup catch for the touchdown. But, you know, of course, you know, Brandon Browner is so big and so strong, he kind of, you know, pushed him too far out the way so where he couldn't get to Malcolm. And Malcolm just, you know, as D.P. You know, I feel like they work on that stuff, that W, yeah. that w ladder. He just took that step and exploded out of his, you know, out of his stance, and you know, took took the ball.
1: Yeah, no, and this just speaks to the genius of Bill Belichick. They practiced that exact play in practice uh, the <laughs> week before Super Bowl. There's already footage I've seen where it's the exact same play, the same pick play. Every route is the exact same. It's unbelievable <laughs> that he actually had that play practiced precisely for the situation. And the, the funny thing is, Malcolm Butler didn't do a good job in practice on that route. They scored a touchdown in practice on that route. He went mm. underneath. He went, he went around the pick. He didn't jump in front of it. Wish,
2: wish, I wish you would have done
1: that in the game. Yeah, I mean, wishful thinking, <laughs> but yeah. Um, and Ricardo Lockett gets it. If he was still tired, and I'm assuming you would have been in the game if he had been tired for that exact mm. play. And I gotta ask, do you think it would have made a difference? Do you think you would have caught that ball? If you were, I'm for game. sure it would
2: have caught I would have for sure caught ball. But the thing is, but the thing is, is that me, me and Ricardo Lockett are two different players. You know, right. Ricardo Lockett is built for speed, and I'm built for being a big guy, jumping over people and just big boy people. So we're two different players. If anything, if I was a person to run that play, if anything, I would have, I would have probably, we probably would have just banged in each other. And he probably would have not caught the ball or I probably wouldn't have caught the ball or I would have caught the ball and we'd have just been on the one or I probably would have scored, but it wouldn't have been it wouldn't have been it wouldn't have been like that if if I for sure.
1: Yeah and it begs the question why they had Lockett in that situation in the first place because yes, he's a very talented football player. You can't deny it. But like you said, he's built for speed and you're six five, two hundred 235 pounds.
2: Like, yeah, and- well you gotta think about this as well. Carl Lockett has been in the league a lot longer than I have. And he has been in uh, clutch situations to where they trust him, you know, in that, in that position. Now, you know, thinking about it on your side, when you're thinking, I mean, on your side, when you're talking about size, yes, I see, I see where you're coming from when it comes, when it comes down to that. But, you know, we're kind of like it definitely had the, the knowledge and the, and the athleticism to go out there and make that play. It just didn't work, you know, I just, you know at the end of the day, you know, we're all men, you know, and we're, some of us are going to guess right, some of us are going to guess wrong, and, you know, things just you know, things just happen, but that's no sort of work on It was just a great play by, uh, you know, my brother.
1: Right, no, I with agree with you 100%. I wasn't trying to – his
2: career, for sure.
1: Yeah, I wasn't trying to trash and log it or anything. I wasn't. He's, he's a very good football player, and I respect him a lot. Yeah. Uh, but I was just thinking because if I'm coaching that game, well, first of all, I wouldn't have passed the ball on the one-yard line. Uh, yeah, Let, let's yeah, put that. There. We can just say that. Yeah, <laughs> we yeah but say ball, that. I have to say that I wouldn't have passed the ball. But if I had to have passed the ball, I'm going to the guy who had four catches for 109 yards and a touchdown. Yeah, that's who I'm going sure. to. I mean, that's, that, that's just a, that's, that's a personal <laughs> thing. Well, I would hope you throw to yourself. I would hope so.
0: <laughs> Need some confidence
1: there. Yeah.
2: That and, I, that and I wouldn't have thrown it inside. I would have threw it outside. We'd have ran outs, fade routes. Something. Yeah,
1: the funny thing is when you watch that sky footage of that play, Marshawn Lynch is open on the side. On that little, yeah. He had that little wheel, not a wheel, but it was kind of like that out towards the opposite side of the mm-hmm, end zone. Mm-hmm. And he was open. <laughs> it's just obviously the play wasn't designed for him in any way, shape, or form. But it is funny that even though they decided not to run, he was still open to win the game for them, and they didn't throw to him. What is what yeah. was Marshawn Lynch's reaction? Um, to that secret of events. <laughs> uh,
2: I don't, I don't even know to be honest with you, because once that happened, he left. Majority of people left and went back into the locker room and just said, "Fuck it," you know, get dressed, get the hell up out of there, type of thing. So I didn't see him. Uh, at, right after, you know, I didn't see him right after, you know, the game was concluded. You know, I kind of called him later on.
1: Later on through the night. Yeah, no, I remember watching I, Yeah, I remember watching NFL films just kind of go through that play. It was like a, I think it was like a twelve minute segment, just dissecting that one play. And there's a there's this haunting image, a haunting, haunting video aspect of it where Marshawn just walking past Pete Carroll and it's like that phantom slow cam. And he just looks yeah. at him and just looks down, it's like shaking his head. He's like, You really just lost the Super Bowl because you didn't give the ball to the best running back in the NFL. Best power back in the NFL. It's just that was just unbelievable.
2: It, it's crazy. It's crazy, right? But I can't. You know, I can't really. I don't. I don't. I don't know who to really blame. You know, because you got to think they loaded up the box. You, you know, you were just talking about uh, Vince, this big ass dude in the middle of him <laughs> in the middle taking up two people. You know, Try it three was people. It, yeah, yeah, exactly. So you know, it it looked bad, you know. And Marshawn is a downhill runner. You, you know, we don't we don't necessarily he does he doesn't really like to run stretch plays where it's like you know you use your speed and get around the corner. He wants to go in and hit something. That's not what was set for us to be able to do to win. I would have lost yards if that would have happened. You know, but honestly, it was just it. I, I don't know, bro. It, it, you couldn't have you couldn't have called. You know what I'm saying? You couldn't have called a better play. There was no better play at that at that particular.
1: Right, exactly, and, and it's just crazy. I guess, I guess, I
2: guess, just losing a yard. You know, letting them run the ball, and if anything, I mean, it, it wasn't fourth down. Better than, yeah, exactly. It would have been better than 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 just throwing a pick. I, understand.
1: I mean, if, if I I I, I,
2: I, I, I think that at the same time is like, why did not Russell Wilson change the play? you get a quarterback. You should have been like, you know what? Let's switch this. But, you know, at the same time, there's a lot going on. He was probably like, you know, I believe in my I believe in my coach. Let's run it. Yeah,
1: I believe I
2: mean, in my arm, let's run it. I believe in my receiver. Let's run it. So yeah. you know, you can't really go against that
1: right before we move on there i know you said they were going to stack the box anyway everyone and their mother knew what there was going on for that defense yeah. everybody they were stack the box they were kind of bum rush everybody engage eight going full mad mode just everybody blitzing yeah. everybody going at Marshawn lynch and the play before that when he got I think four or five yards when everyone's in the box it wasn't like they were playing zone defense cover two no they were playing gauge eight they literally rushed everyone and yeah. it still didn't matter because he almost scored in that play thank god for a team yeah. thank god for a key and dante hightower for stopping that <laughs> but it's just like wow like I don't think it would have mattered like you saw it last year in the playoffs with the patriots and the titans like everyone knew derrick henry was going to be the beast that game no one was yeah. scared of ryan Tannehill. No one was scared of that guy. And it's just like we stacked the box. We knew what was happening. And it didn't matter because guys like Marshawn Lynch, guys like Derrick Henry, who are these big bruising backs, they're transcendent. It doesn't matter what you do sometimes because they're just big human beings. They're big. It's, they're hard to tackle. And it's just, uh, I just can't believe it. I really still can't believe it. Um, before we move on to anything else, obviously, Tom Brady won his fourth Super Bowl ring in 2014, and then he goes on to win another two within the next four years. Crazy. Crazy. Just first of all, crazy. Never going to yeah. happen again. Just wild. Never. Never. But Tom Brady, sadly, has left the New England Patriots, I'm sure you're aware, and goes yep. to who else but Tampa Bay and Which joins a great team. Joins Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Cameron Brady, O.J. Howard, Ronald Jones—it's—it's it's like what? And I never saw it and that coming.
2: Defense is nasty.
1: Yeah, it's gotten a lot better too. They got Antoine Winfield Jr. now in the second round it was a great Man. pickup. And it's just how the hell did this happen? I had no idea this was coming. And some of the Boston sports media were saying, "Oh, it might be a dark horse team." You know, probably like a week before he signed. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was going to be the Vegas. I thought he was going to go to John Gruden. I thought it was going to be Chucky, him going to launch TB12 on the West Coast. He's going to have mm-hmm. TB12 in every casino in Vegas. Mm-hmm. And I thought that made a lot more sense because first of all, there's no corporate um, sales tax in Nevada. Mm-hmm. So TB12 goes there for free. There's no personal income tax in Nevada. So he gets his entire contract and it'd be a fully guaranteed contract anyway because you're going to goddamn Raiders. So of course they're going to exactly. overpay you. And exactly. it's just like, it didn't make any sense. And then he, it, the news kind of breaks. He's deciding between the Patriots, the Titans, and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And I'm like, hold up, Tampa Bay? And yeah. I'm like, oh, it's probably just a smoke to try to get some extra cash out of craft, that cheap fuck. And then <laughs> and then he actually ends up signing Tampa Bay. What are your thoughts on Tom Brady going to Tampa Bay?
2: I think it's amazing. I think it's a great move. You know, you have you have two, you know, well, really one one is a really great, consistent receiver. Mike Evans and another great receiver who's coming on and coming on into his own world, which is Chris Godwin. These two dudes are like ridiculous out there, and that's all that's all Tom Brady has ever wanted in Patriots. You know, with Patriots, you know, give him some more work. You know, Julian Edelman is a great receiver, but not when you have a six five dude who's out there running the same I'm, speed as
1: I'm the everybody I don't else. Mean- I'm the biggest Edelman stan in the entire world. I love the guy. Hardworking, gritty, it, but I'm it. sorry. Mike Evans is a borderline top five wide receiver, and he is that dude. He is that dude. And Edelman, like as much as I love the guy, does not compare to a guy like Mike Evans. And Chris Godwin's, like you just said, like, coming into his own. He's no slouch either. And I think the most underrated part of this entire setup is Bruce Arians. Because he sure. is a very good, experienced head coach, has been in the league for a very long time, and has coached some of the best quarterbacks in the NFL: Ben Roethlisberger, Andrew Luck, uh, Carson Palmer, and it just keeps going on and on. And he specializes in QBs, and you're getting the greatest quarterback of all time, and pairing him with one of the best brains in the NFL. It just makes too much one of the sense. Best
2: quarterback coach ever.
1: Exactly. But the only thing I have a problem with is Bruce Arians' offense typically runs around these big seven-step drops. They like to throw deep. He likes to take his time in the pocket. And last year, watching Tom Brady, he was not comfortable in that pocket, whether that was because his receivers weren't getting open like they should be, which they weren't, to be fair. And he was missing his starting center, which was a huge uh, problem with our offense the entire season. But regardless, when you have a 43-year-old quarterback, name one other 43-year-old quarterback besides Warren Moon who was good past 40. I can't think of a single one. Brett Favre had one good season when he would just turn 40 and then was an absolute shitbag the next year and retired. Yeah. And so, <laughs> and, I, and obviously Tom Brady's not Brett Favre. Tom Brady is far and away not Brett Favre. Yeah. But it still begs the question like, is he going to be okay in an offense where it requires him to drop back that much each game on a seven step drops and wait to be hit by some of these guys? Tom Brady is not 25 anymore. Like, he, and it's not like he, he knows how to fall. He's a very experienced quarterback when it comes to that. He knows how to get hit. But some of these blindside hits, their offensive line is probably the weakest part of their entire team. They have some good players in the line, but it's no, nowhere near elite. And it's just, it bothers me with that aspect.
2: Yeah, I don't, I, don't know, I don't know too much about the offensive line and what's going on over there. So I won't, you know, I won't really comment on them because, you know, you need them. And let's make sure that they're just happy. We don't know. Hopefully they do good. But my concern, my concern is if they do do seven-step drawbacks, is Tom Brady going to be able to get the ball out there?
1: That's my question. Oh, so you're talking about arm strength. Yeah. You think he's going to go full noodle arm like Peyton Manning did? Well,
2: hey, listen, it's not, it's not, it's not unbelievable. It is not unbelievable. If you look at, if you look at, if you look at the past three years, you know, Tom Brady has not been. Pretty too much, you know. And if it what, if it is, it's not really pretty ball. So I don't know what's going on with that, you know. Are are, are we going to see a different offense from Tampa Bay? Are we going to start using? your Are we going to have a six five dude and a and a six three dude running crossing routes, you know, trying to get open? Or Are we gonna? Are are, are you going to have them going down the field, you know, trusting Tom Brady? Out there, because that's going to make it a lot harder for the receivers to catch the ball. If you're not, if you're not able to get it out there, you're putting more stress on the receiver to make a spectacular catch. And you know, if that doesn't happen, then you know everybody's looking at the receiver like, "What's going on with you?" Nobody's gonna, you know, the only person that talks about uh, that, that talks bad about uh, Tom Brady is Skip. So <laughs> everybody else, everybody else is going to be on the receivers, and I'm on the receiver side first off. Because if you're if you're not able to get the ball out there, I know what it feels like to to have to try to make a spectacular catch when you're not throwing the ball where it needs to be, and you're the one getting blamed for it because you're not catching
1: Right, super frustrating. Yeah. Like I said, if you give Tom Brady this team four years ago, I'm willing to bet my entire That's mortgage. Nasty. I'm, I'm yeah. literally, literally a mortgage to yeah. win the Super Bowl. I would no problem yeah. putting that bet down. But like you said, arm check might be a question. These quarterbacks, who's not even – like Tom Brady is not built his brand on throwing deep. That's not what he did. No. He built it on quick release, knowing the play mm-hmm. before anybody else, through quick threes, even some quick fives. But outside of 2007, he doesn't throw deep. He doesn't. Insane so, method. Exactly. But hey, it works. It does work. It works. It works. <laughs> I, have a, I have a hot take about that, though. For the Buccaneers okay. this year, I think Chris Goblin outperforms Mike Evans for that very reason. Because Godwin, Godwin's has those nice slant routes, those nice out routes, those mm-hmm. nice routes that Tom Brady loves to throw to. And mm-hmm. I th- obviously I think Mike Evans is a much more talented receiver at this point in his career, but the play styles don't mesh as well as people like believe them to you know, want them to, to, to mesh well. Like, I just don't think yeah. it, it, it kind of goes along those lines. Well, I just don't believe it. And so I just think Godwin's a better fit for Brady in general. And then um, I don't know. I just don't think Mike Evans is going to have a Super Bowl year. That's all I'm going to say.
2: I think I think I think Mike Evans can very well do the same thing that Chris Godwin can do. I just think they would prefer him just to be, you know, doing the more you know linear routes instead of the underneath routes. You know what I'm saying? Right. I think that would be more catered to, to Chris Godwin. Which was coming up? He's younger, you know. I'm saying they're probably gonna have him there a lot longer than they're gonna have Mike Evans there, to be honest with you, too. no matter how good, you know,
1: right? Exactly. Before we, move time, time on. Before we move on from the Buccaneers, I gotta ask one more thing about the Buccaneers. Rob Gronkowski comes out of retirement, basically demands a trade, and ends up in Tampa Bay. I think that was all premeditated. I think Gronk was going to come back last season. I think Brady said, no, wait for my free agent decision, and then you can come back. And Gronk went yeah. along with like a little puppy and said, okay, Tom, okay. And it ends up coming to Tampa Bay and reunites with him. What are your expectations for Rob Gronkowski this NFL season? I think he's it. Really? really?
2: Nobody can stop, nobody can stop Rob Gronkowski besides Rob. Like he's the only one that can stop himself by going, too too hard you know there's times where there's like you know you're getting tackled by three four dudes and you're still trying to run like get down bro you know yeah. what I'm saying save your body you wouldn't probably wouldn't be in this situation that he was in with all these injuries and stuff like that got down but at the same time you can't really say that because you know that's what made him who he is you know so it's like you know then if you do them if you don't type
1: situation no it's i compare it to eddie george kind of where it's just like you're you're there for a good time not a long time where you just you play your play style you live your career the way you want to and you play as hard as you can and maybe you don't last 20 years like tom brady does Mm -hmm. but you make your 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 imprint in the nfl and you end up going to the hall of fame which i think both him and gronk will be there uh next to each other someday um before we end the interview i do need to ask you about something so, the New England Patriots obviously don't have Tom Brady anymore. Jared Stidham, little-known second-year quarterback, was expected to start for the entire offseason. And then a breaking news headline comes up, former MVP, former Carolina Panther Cam Newton, after about 80-something days of being unemployed, which is ridiculous. Joe Flacco got signed before Cam Newton did. Like, what, what the hell is going on? But anyway. Hey,
2: man, I, don't, I don't know. Joe Flacco's my guy. <laughs> I don't know nothing about that. That's my guy right
1: there. Uh, I know, I know. But you understand my point. Anyway, Cam Newton comes in, and the entire Boston media market goes Cam Newton's the heir apparent. He's going to come back, come back player of the year. We're getting seven this year. And I had a theory we were going to sign him for a very, very long time, for a, a few weeks before, and I said, hey, Cam Newton's coming to New England. I don't know what you're talking mm-hmm. about. Like, he's coming to New England. Bill Belichick, this is a classic Belichick move. Yeah, signing, the go, signing the former star that nobody else wants anymore. Mm-hmm. It's like Rodney Harrison again. Essentially, that's, mm-hmm. that's the same situation. Maybe if it's the same result, that waits to be seen. But do you think Cam Newton's the automatic starter in New England? Yes. Why? Uh,
2: who, who has a better pedigree than him?
1: I mean, I wouldn't argue pedigree. I would just argue because of the whole COVID-19 situation, you know, there's been a prevention matter. of – you don't think so? Because I think from what I've heard, I've talked to Mohamed news receiver coach the other day. Where we had an interview with him a while ago. And he's worked with both Cam and Stidham closely for the past uh, month and a half or so, with Stidham even longer. And he says he loves Cam's energy. It's It's magnetic, and he takes control of the game, right? And he talks about Stidham and the way he talked about Stidham was a hell of a lot more convincing to me than when he talked about Cam. They said, he said that Stidham knows the playbook inside and out cadences, audibles, what everyone's supposed to do on that offense. He knows it in and out. And then Cam Newton posted on Instagram a week ago saying this shit's calculus. And he tagged mm-hmm. June element and thought it was funny. And I just think that Jerry Stidham has a leg up in that regard because he's been in that building, he's been in that locker room. He's learned from Tom Brady, who ran the system to perfection for 20 years. And so if a guy like Stidham has that playbook down already and has effective his teammates and and throws a great ball, which I think he does, there's a reason why he was, you know, being prepped as the as the heir apparent and guys like the McCordy brothers and stefan gilmore gushed about the guy saying we our defense was better last year because we competed against city in practice because he actually gave us a run for our money in those scout team drills and everything so for me personally i think it's an open competition and i just don't like the narrative that cam Duin's automatically the starter because he's a mvp that won five years ago do you understand what i'm saying yeah i i can, I, I hear you i hear where you're
2: coming from but my thing is, 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 man, my thing is, is, is that just because you know it doesn't mean that you can, right? you know, a lot of people, a lot of backup quarterbacks probably know the offense, the ins and outs of it way more than the starting quarterback because they just feel like that will give them that much more of an edge. To get out there, which it might in some cases. But if you think about it, you know, rest in peace to Jackson. To that Jackson, that Seattle's playbook, hands down, because he ran that uh, with the Vikings. Right. But you still have Russell Wilson out there.
1: Mm-hmm. No, I understand that too. It's, it's a hard you know? situation. I don't think it's a very easy uh, thing to look at and say, hey, this guy's going to start because of this. Like, no one knows what Bill Belichick's doing. Nobody. He's, he, yeah. he's his own guy. He's his own mastermind. We're not going to know anything until Bill Belichick comes out explicitly and says, "Hey, either Cam's our guy or Stidham's our guy." So I don't want to speculate too much, but I, we have to wait for Bill Belichick's announcement. Sure, close- sure.
2: but but, but I, I, was I was definitely thinking the same way you were thinking, uh, and I didn't know much about Stidham, but I was just telling you know a lot of my close friends. I was like, you know, they probably just signing Cam just to, you know, just to push the next quarterback that they already have in the pocket that's ready, I mean that you know, that's waiting to, you know, to get his time. But then when I go and I look up the stats for Cam and I start watching the games again, it's like, but this guy right here is just different. You know, and you need that 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 spark from your team, especially who's a big piece like um Brady, you need somebody who's gonna be able to come in there and take control of that take control of that team. And, and put him on their back. I mean, put him on their uh, on his back and, and keep pushing. And I think Cam is the perfect
1: player. For that. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, that's a good argument to you. It's hard to argue against Although Cam Newton's really, talent. Although
2: really I really wish he would have went to the Chargers instead of the wing.
1: Yeah, I, I feel so bad for Tyrod Taylor because it's going to be Cleveland 2.0 again. He's going to play five yeah. games and then Herbert's going to come in. And it's, it's it's sad that I already know that's going to happen because I'm actually a big Tyrod Taylor guy. When he was in yeah. Buffalo, like, he was a very efficient quarterback. Was he a superstar? Legit. No. But he was a very good – he ran that system to perfection with Shady McCoy up there. I think that was a great system yeah. they, they ran.
2: It, it, he was – he's not a superstar because they never give him the full credit that he, you know, that he deserves or allows him to go out there and do what he does, you yeah, know?
1: If, if you put Tyrod Taylor on this Buffalo Bills team now and you have the same Lashawn McCoy you did, if he was still on that team as well, they're still – they're want to win 11 games probably. I mean, that That's would fine. like big. It's just, Stephon did like, give me a break. Like it's just, that'd be a great offense. Before we close the interview, I want to get a little serious here. Obviously we've had a lot of social unrest in the country lately. Black lives matter is more prevalent than ever. Uh, our president has been, I don't want to get political, but he's been kind of up and down when it comes to these issues. What are your thoughts on the black lives matter movement when it comes to the NFL their plans to kneel and their plans to affect change from their platform.
2: I'm just gonna keep it all all the way real with you. Uh, I don't feel like the NFL is taking many much steps to, you know, bring light to Black Lives Matter because one, you have something that's so small that they've been talking about since the early 2000s of changing the Redskins name to the Washington whatever it is Washington football team like that makes absolutely no sense to me that they can't come up with an a name by now when you've already been warned that this is going to come and you still don't have anything coming up with that that's one now for two when it comes down to black lives matter, I for sure especially with the track record that they have that the NFL has that it's not going there's 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 not going to be anything that's going to Bring light to the attention. What's going to have to happen is more of the star players in the NFL is going to have to keep on speaking up like they did the last time with the commercial and force some change. Like, really have to have our, our, our leaders, Tom Brady, uh, Drew Brees, Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson, because, you know, the NFL is just a quarterback, star driven league. You know, it doesn't really matter unless they speak up. If they don't speak up and they don't say nothing or force action onto something, it's not going to happen. Like they were talking about playing the, the, the black national anthem, national anthem for the first game of the year. Uh, to be honest with you, I don't even know what the black national anthem is. And I'm black. So <laughs> I don't know where they even got that from. But just doing it one time, you know, it's like, come on now. One time that doesn't. Take away, I mean, that doesn't give us no light to the situation. You got the NBA running scrimmages and they have Black Lives Matter on their court. Well, whereas you can see it clear as day. You think the NFL's going to do that? I highly doubt. It. Like, they're worrying about the red, white, and blue, which is the same colors as the NFL.
1: 100%. I think it was a PR move more than anything, especially for the Black National Anthem part. I mean, you know, it's a, it is a good song. I actually like the song personally. I, I, I think it's – I understand the message behind it. I think – I understand what they are trying to attempt to do with it. But it's a total PR move. I don't really think anybody – I think everyone sees through what they're trying to do there. I think it's more of an ethical cop-out saying, hey, you know, we, we're trying to support the movement. We're, we're playing the Black National Anthem before games and everything. Guys, that's not enough. Yeah.
2: Definitely.
1: It's not. And, and I, just, I just don't understand the thinking of Roger Goodell saying, hey, this is going to work. We're going to get out of all of our PR nightmare with this. No, you're not. Everyone sees through it. We all know, understand what's going on. And you said they're going to react even stronger than they did last time. I'm just hoping we will not have to have a next time. I just hope this is finally the stage where we move past this and we can, you know, be united as a country. And be on the same page with each other. I mean, it, it, open dialogue is a very important you know, aspect of this entire movement. And I think people on both sides need to be receptive. They need to be understanding. I think they need to just have an open conversation and dialogue, a respectful dialogue, and everything will be okay. If people just listen, I think this entire thing goes away. But people don't want to listen. People want to be ignorant. People well, it's, want more, it's, more, stuff. it's
2: more than listening. It's more than listening. Because I can hear you all day, but if you're still such, you know what I'm saying? Like not, not, not nothing like physical, I just understand where you're coming from, you know. Right. We need more than that. We need more than just understanding. I can understand that that your life matters, but still go out there and try to gun you down
1: or right. you
2: know beat you up. You know what I'm saying? Or do something. It doesn't matter. That doesn't matter for me personally. I feel like there needs to be actual change within the individual, especially when you're especially when your 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 whole organization the whole league is 75% black. It needs to be more than that. Something else needs to happen. And I'm not the one that can just come up with all the answers. I don't know. But I know that there needs to be something. It doesn't need to be within the game. It needs to be outside of the game. But the NFL needs to be backing it up. That's what I think needs to happen.
1: Chris, thank you so much for coming on the show. We had a great conversation, great um, debate a lot with the Cam Newton stuff. I uh, appreciate you coming on. I hope we can see you soon. Maybe come back on the yeah. show and we'll, we'll talk yeah. about uh, the NFL season when it actually happens. If it actually happens, it's a whole different scenario, but we're hoping yeah. so. Yeah. Chris Matthews, thank you so much. Former Seattle Seahawks coming on, and we'll uh, talk to you soon.
2: All right, man. Thank you.
1: And that was Chris Matthews, former Seattle Seahawks. Uh, former almost Super Bowl champion, 49, he took that painfully. But the one thing that stuck out to me throughout that entire interview, the Seattle Seahawks did not even acknowledge that the interception happened. How does a professional football team do that?
0: I mean, that sets up, that must set the team. in, in after that Super Bowl, the Legion of Boom just started going downwards. You thought that that was a dynasty in the making, especially when you go to back-to-back Super Bowls. And that just kills that atmosphere around there. And for someone like Pete Carroll, too, who's an experienced coach, should know better, should know how to address that situation, should pick them back up, and they should have been back to another Super Bowl or two after that. Uh, Mistakes happen like that, and there is more to it. I remember there's always those conspiracy theories of the uh, league didn't want Marshawn Lynch to become the MVP of the Super Bowl because they hated Marshawn Lynch at that time. They Because of his, you know, no-nonsense, like, I don't want to talk to the media, I don't want to talk about you, suck my dick, hold my dick, whatever it is. It's, it's, um, it's interesting, because I bet the league has something to do with it. There's something more higher up, and especially if you're an organization that doesn't want to talk about it, there's, there's more to it. There's got to be more, and eventually you'll come uncovered. uncovered. And,
1: I, and I have a theory about that, and I have no evidence at all to support this. I'm just kind of tossing it out there to kind of to play with a little bit here. Could it be an ego thing with Pete Carroll? Uh, Because Pete Carroll makes that play call, obviously. He's infamous for making that pass at the one-yard line. And and Russell Wilson comes back to the the huddle and just says, what the hell happened? And Pete Carroll just has no answer for him. Marshawn Lynch walks right past him, shaking his head, laughing his ass off like it was some funny joke. And then they don't acknowledge it at all within the organization. I think it could be an ego thing with Pete Carroll.
0: Do you think that if Bill Belichick was to make that same call, because he's done calls like that in the past, he's kind of the guy that will admit his wrongdoing.
1: Well, I mean, if you look at it, uh, uh, kind of a similar situation, not to the same stakes, but the fourth and one against Indianapolis, and when they called that fourth down, and then we didn't convert, he went to the podium right after the game and acknowledged, hey, we didn't make the right call, we couldn't get the first down, and he moved on. And it's important to acknowledge your mistakes, because then you lose the locker room. If you don't acknowledge your own mistakes as a head coach, because the head coach, and any good coach will tell you that, players win the games for you. Coaches, you know, has a, a good impact on that play style. But at the same time, the players are the ones who win the game. So when a coach directly affects the game like Pete Carroll did by calling that pass, he needs to take accountability for that. And John Schneider as well. And they did none of that.
0: It, it just is in the fact of saying, you know, in terms of, you know, and lightly, like, we thought that was the best call, but the Patriots had our number. And you have to give credit to Bill Belichick and the New England Patriots for countering that play because we thought that was the right call, and it obviously wasn't. But you know what? This is a learning. Th- this is the learning. This is a mistake that we learned from, and we will be back here. If you just say something very simple like that at the podium, you know, it, you're going to get made fun of. Yes, but at the same time, it's going to be accepted. Like, hey, hat tip to the New England Patriots. They they read our play. They they knew it.
1: Right. And and, uh, and not even the media aspect. How about the locker room? Yeah. Like, at least after the game say something. Yes, I know morale's low, but that's the most important time to say something when your your team is in in, in defeat in, in this huge, you know, pit of emotions. You should be able to say something as the leader of that franchise.
0: You can't discredit you can't discredit the work that we put in to get here. Back to back is how hard it is. And you got to pick them back up and say, let's do it again for Super Bowl 50. And and it just it seems like the Seattle team has never been the same since. They're always a playoff contender. They're always kind of somewhat there. And we've seen it this year that Seattle's trying to go back all in on saying we need to get back to that Super Bowl. Um, It reminds me of like kind of like Matt Ryan. And the Atlanta Falcons. And I'm wondering about the accountability there. And I think they lost the locker room as well, too, with a lot of coaching mistakes that happened to have that big of a lead, 28 to 3. And I think that we've seen this come back to light recently where I believe Matt Ryan says that he hasn't talked to Tom Brady since then. Like he just doesn't talk to him. Um, and um, you've lost that entire locker room. It's almost like you have to start over again. It's like, how the fuck do we blow this?
1: And, and, and ironically, the head coach of the Falcons is Dan Quinn, Seattle born and bred. He, he created the LOB. So is it a Seattle thing? Is it a Pete Carroll tr- coaching tree thing? Like, we don't know. But that is an interesting coincidence.
0: Yeah. Uh, final thoughts for you, Joe Stafford.
1: Chris Matthews, again, thanks for coming on the show. That was a phenomenal interview, I thought, an hour long. Originally, the segment was supposed to be 20 minutes, and we just kind of flowed so well, it ended up being an hour. And obviously, we were both animated during it, and he, we had a great time recording. Like I said earlier, before the interview started, we might have actually have him on again uh, towards the end of August, and maybe actually during the season. I still have to talk to him about some logistics and stuff, but stay tuned on that announcement. But thank you again, Chris, and we'll see you soon.
0: My final thought is Boston's big three. If you are listening and you made it this far all the way to the end, I just want to hype up some stuff, man. I am personally going to be taking some time off because I have the twins coming in like two weeks from now. So starting on Sunday, August 16th, I'll probably be nowhere to be found for a little bit. Then I have back surgery after that. And I'm hoping that we'll have something special set up for that um, live at the, uh, live in the hospital. But other than that, You know, for Boston's Big 30, we have some great guests coming uh, forward. Uh, Hopefully the next one, episode 70, will be Marlon Webb, who's an internet sensation from—you might know him from Vine. He's on TikTok, Instagram. I've actually had people who came out to me and said, I can't wait to listen to that. That's an hour-long interview as well. Um, And I'm excited because we talked about—he's a big Boston sports fan. And we also talked about racism in America and the NFL and his thoughts about it. And he gives us some great insight— on and educate the fans out there of what's happened to him growing up. Joe Stafford, Jay the Pats fan, and Emma have interviewed Chris Gronkowski. So we have Chris Gronkowski coming on the show eventually. That interview will drop. It's about 35 minutes long. Um, Courtney Fallon will be making the comeback as well, too. I had Courtney Fallon on. We just talked about her trip down to the Major League Lacrosse Championship. She got to cover it for ESPN and some of her training camp thoughts. Uh, we also will have Courtney Krause on. She is a former... Patriots cheerleader. So I haven't done the interview yet, but we have that scheduled for next week and that will get out at some point as well too. And uh, I feel like I have one more in my mind. Oh, and we have Julia from Outfield and End Zones. So outfieldandendzones.com. She's done something where she's starting to get to travel around a little bit. We get through her history of going to see different stadiums. We did about a half an hour interview. It was was interesting. A lot of people out there haven't been able to travel that love sports. We're trying to give you some of her insight and my insight as well, too, of different places we've been to. So Boston's Big Three we're stocking up these interviews. We're we're doing a great job. It will be good to have some of these individuals like Chris Matthews come back, like TJ Hoosmanzada, might have to hit him up and say, hey, what's going on? Um, Pat Friermuth as well, too. Uh, I know that. Penn State just had a major opt-out as well. Uh, one one of their guys is focusing on the NFL draft. It might be Tyler Miller's boy over there, the guy that he was hyping up to be like the top pick in the draft. Um, it would be interesting. We have we have some great guests coming forward. Boston's Big Three will keep rolling through this, and uh, we appreciate you guys listening. Make sure you subscribe to us on YouTube as well. Apple, Spotify, whatever you're listening to, we thank you so much. Make sure you leave a comment, review, whatever you can. Let's keep doing this. We appreciate it, guys. Thank you.